Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Brian Peacock here with the scout, Matt Williamson. We are taking your questions today. It is a Twitter Thursday episode, so all of your tweets will take up all of today's show. Tomorrow, look out for our conversation with Brandon Thorne. We referenced his article about offensive linemen on yesterday's show. Go back and and listen to that one. It was a good program. But we're actually going to bring Brandon himself on to talk about defensive linemen tomorrow and maybe a little bit more about the offensive line as well. But, uh, yeah, he's he's an expert in the trenches. So offensive line, defensive line, we figured, you know, why not, instead of just looking at his rankings, let's have him on to explain his own rankings. So that'll be a fun show tomorrow with Brandon Thorne. Thorn. Let's see here. Matt, do you have any questions? There's yes. Go Pats, our, our good buddy. He's always frequently involved in these oh, he's good. Twitter Thursday questions. I am looking forward to the Brandon Thorn show tomorrow, too, oh, by yeah. the way. You know what? Uh, I mean, people reached out and said, you should get him on the show. We're like, oh, yeah, good idea. Here we go. And he said yes. And um, we will preface it by you know recording the, the Twitter Thursday one here, as usual, midday on Thursday. And we'll do the same tomorrow. But I don't think we're divulging too much personal business from Brandon. But he has a baby on the way. And if by chance the baby doesn't want to stay inside as long as he's supposed to or she, we could that might not happen. So there's a great chance we have Brandon on. I hope so. If you have questions for him, shoot us tweets. And I have some O-line stuff I want to ask him about and a lot of D-line stuff. So it's going to be great. Yeah, it'll be really fun. And we are at the mercy of Mother Nature on this one, too. So, <laughs> right. yeah, and congrats to the Thorne family. Yes. Let's start with our guy, Go Pats. He had this question last week that we didn't quite get to, and uh, I want to ask you about it. And uh, I, I like some of these. Your historical knowledge is a little bit better. You're, you're a couple years older than me. I'm not going to say you're old or anything like that, Matt. But um, yeah, you, you, your knowledge goes a little bit further back than mine. So I want to hear your take on some of these, because I didn't get to see, I only saw half of these guys play. Um there was a poll question about the best off-ball linebackers in NFL history. So we're not talking about Lawrence Taylor. We're not talking about pass rushers. Off-ball right. linebackers. The top four here being Ray Lewis, Junior Seau, Dick Butkus, and Jack Lambert. Jack Ham. Oh, he's got Lambert on this one. Did he? Was it Jack Ham on the original? How this happened, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit too, is I wrote... I did like a background video for PittsburghSteelers.com. And what I I did this video is like three or four minutes. And Joe Green's widely considered the best Steeler of all time. And you're not going to get any arguments inside the building. And some of their codes are like 75. You know, like, I mean, he's the man. Okay. Uh, And I did this video for the Steelers website saying, I firmly believe Mel Blunt is the second best Steeler of all time. And it brought up some some people in the know in the organization, and they brought up Ham's name a lot. And they didn't bring up Bradshaw. They didn't bring up Ben. You know, Ham was the other defender they thought that could compete with Blunt as the second greatest stealer to ever wear black and gold. And it got me thinking, and a lot of those people, and trust me, there's a lot of biased folks in that, in that conversation towards the Steelers, said, Ham's the best off-the-ball linebacker that's ever lived. I'm like, wow, that's pretty high praise. I, I'm a big ham believer. I have him higher than Lambert on my all-time Steeler list. With all respect to Jack Lambert, I think he's a little under overrated in terms of having Joe Green and people like that in front of you. And Ham was a better coverage player, an all-around player. So I started drumming it up in my head while I was sitting on the beach last week going, 
okay, who are the best second level players? Like you said, I mean, no LTs, you know, no Derek Thomases, no Vaughn Millers. And I thought, well, Butkus has to be on that list. I'm putting Ham on that list. I think Ray Lewis has to be on that list. Then I got a little foggy. You know, I put Seau as my fourth. I got a lot of feedback. It should have been Erlacher or Singletary from Chicago or Derek Brooks's name came up a lot. Mm. I quickly sent out a tweet. I strongly considered putting Keekly in over, over Seau. I mean, to me, he's the best one since Lewis. Um, there's been, you know, the Chiefs had two great ones back in the 60s. But I, mean, I, I do have a history of the game perspective. But I do think I'm a little biased against the old, old fo- folks. You know, I mean, 70s and on, I'm going to be a little stronger on. But for me, my vote, I still think I give it to Butkus. Uh, I, I think Butkus was the most disruptive of all those players. And obviously the game was a lot different back then. He wasn't covering the deep middle pipe like Brian Erlacher was in the Tampa 2. I mean, he was a downhill thumper. And maybe a lot of it's based off of just watching highlights of Butkus. I didn't see his bad plays. But it sure seemed like he was the best defensive player in the league for a very long stretch. A fearsome, huge leader, power player. I'm going to give it to Butkus. And I think Ham would be second for me and probably Lewis third. I tracked it back to your original tweet here in your original poll. And yeah, Go Pats was wrong. It was Jack Ham, not Jack Lambert in this conversation. But, you know, Lambert deserves, like the other names you mentioned, to be in, in the conversation, I think. That's yeah. completely fair. What happens with polls these days is that uh, there's a generation of fans that didn't get to see Dick Butkus play and probably didn't see Jack Ham or Junior Seau, even, even though Junior Seau played in, you know, the 2000s. Um, but Ray Lewis won by a landslide in your poll that you put out there. Forty, almost fifty percent of the votes for Ray Lewis. The one you voted for as your and I knew favorite, he would. Dick Butkus, was last with thirteen percent. Then uh, mm-hmm. Ham was second, nineteen percent. Third was Junior Seau, seventeen point six percent. So um, I'm just looking at this and, and thinking, okay, you have a lot of Steelers fans in your timeline, so that's why Ham was above Butkus and Seau, and then people just younger crowd on Twitter probably voting for Ray Lewis because that's the guy they saw, and he was the best mm-hmm. of that generation of linebackers. I have no problem with those arguments for any of those four players. It's hard to compare generations. Linebackers were more valuable back then, too. I think having Dick, Dick Butkus on your football team when he played is much more valuable than having Dick, Dick Butkus or even Ray Lewis on your football team now. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a great point. And from what I recall, I know Ham was a great coverage player. Lewis was obviously outstanding in space, too. I don't know. I mean, Seau was not bad in space by any stretch, but I thought of him more as a downhill player. Butkus absolutely was, but that fit the day. And with all these conversations, I think you have to judge how effective were they for their time, not you know how how good would they be right. now. And frankly, I say this too. I mean, you call me a Steeler homer all you want. Jack Ham probably doesn't even make the team this year. I mean, like <laughs> I've seen Jack Ham. He's <laughs> little. <laughs> you know, he's a great fundamental player. He got overshadowed by Lambert a little bit, but even like coming out of Penn State, he probably ran a four nine at two hundred and ten pounds. Like I mean, he's not even getting drafted wow. today. So you know what I mean. I mean so uh, I hear you. And, and frankly, Ray Lewis might just frankly flat out deserve to be number one too. I mean, no history bias, just flat. He might be the best player of all of them. He was also protected pretty well in his career too. I mean, 
spent a lot of years behind Saragusa and Sam Adams and 700 pounds of man in front of you. That sure makes things helpful. But I often, when I talk about Ray Lewis, I reference uh, um, Ross Tucker, who's a good friend of mine, and we host a podcast together. Ross played in League seven years and frankly admits the two hardest people he had to play against were Richard Seymour and Ray Lewis and has all the respect in the world for how good Ray was pre-snap anticipation, hustle, all the above. I mean, obviously a superstar. That's good stuff there. Uh, we, we, I promise we'll get to more questions. We'll, we'll do sure. this a little bit quicker here, but that was a fun one. And, uh, I love hearing Matt go sometimes on, on some players, uh, especially some that I'd never got to see play. And I, I love the knowledge about, uh, ham versus Lambert. That's an interesting one to me too. And, your point people is, don't look at it that way. But yeah. the Steeler purists and the people that were around there would often say things like, Ham never had a bad play. You know, like if you ask my dad, he's like, Ham made every tackle. He never missed a tackle. He was always where he's supposed to be. Most dependable player in the, in the league. And that's absolutely who he is. Was he really 210 pounds? I, uh, right now, I bet he's 180. I've seen him in the last five <laughs> years. I mean, he's obviously an older man and doesn't even right. suit up on Sundays, but... He was not big. And actually, that goes when, when I did that blunt um, conversation, that was one thing I said in my in my video was Mel Blunt. I know he was listed at 210, but watching Steeler highlights, I promise you he's bigger than Lambert or Ham. Wow. OK. <laughs> I mean, he's six, four long arms, full grown man, thick body. Like, I bet he weighs more than Ham or Lambert. Jack Ham listed six one two twenty five. So hey, Ooh, but that's, I'll take the under. that's interesting there. So if, if he was 6'1", 225, you can work with that in today's NFL. And if his strength was being a better coverage player, there you go. The original modern day linebacker, Jack Ham. Yeah. I'm I'm sure he didn't test all that great though. That's true. <laughs> all right, let's keep this going. Twitter Thursday on Locked On NFL. Let's go to Screaming A Smith on Twitter. He says, I've always heard NFL players are expected to take the biggest leap from year one to year two. That being said, which players from last year's draft class can you see being contenders for a first or second team all pro this season? Screaming A's pick is Ed Oliver. That's a good one. And it's funny because I referenced the Warren Sharp guide recently, but the Football Outsiders guide just came out too. And people know I'm a dork for all that stuff. And I was reading the Buffalo chapter five minutes ago, coincidentally. I mean, just a, a total shot in the dark. And I didn't realize Oliver of all the rookie interior players even on a limited snap count was the most disruptive and had the most sacks of the quote defensive tackles last year so um you know it's a good start I think he's gonna be a rotational guy for them though they have a really deep defensive line and some of their defensive tackles are more the space eater variety where he's obviously the upfield third down player but it wouldn't shock me if he has nine or 10 sacks this year. I mean, I think that's a good pick. Um, as I was rambling there, I went to drafthistory.com and pulled up last year's draft. And the name is just jumping off the page to me. And I keep going back to my love affair for young tight ends is TJ Hawkinson. You know, like in all fantasy drafts this year, Kittle and Kelsey are the first two off the board. No doubt. And then it's Andrew and Ertz. Andrews and Ertz. I think next year at this time, Hawkinson's going to be in that conversation. And he's going to be there's, on my fantasy team a lot. There's a lot of good options. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. 
<laughs> yeah, let's, let's keep that seat. Let's keep that down. Uh, there's a name coming up in the next question too that uh, I think we need to try to try to slow the the climb of his stock in fantasy football leagues. Um, when it comes to second year players, and by the way, we went through this process and talked about breakout players for second year guys in the NFL. We did one on offense, one on defense a few weeks ago. So go back and listen to that. Those two episodes that was really fun because there's a lot of candidates for this i would say someone like Holly, hollywood brown is the immediate one that jumps out because yep. in that offense with his speed and you saw flashes of that last year uh, in baltimore that'll be a fun one uh, a lot of those wide receivers uh, dk metcalf oh. Ma- matthew Harmon. Are you familiar with matthew Harmon's? Work? oh yeah, yeah. well and he I does know Matt pretty well. reception perception which is really cool we should probably have him on the show sometime too oh, he's able to talk about that and uh he compared dk metcalf to Prime Des Bryant with the the yeah. style of player he is, and there's so much development that could still come. And he was already a 900 yard receiver just because uh, he could dominate you on slants and go routes all day, and only played on you know outside receiver on the left side. Once he starts to mix things up, and they utilize him a little more, and he's got the perfect quarterback for his skill set going downfield because he's got four three speed on top of that Des Bryant size and can beat you down the field. Uh, he's going to be an exciting one for me, and I think there's a lot left there, and he could have one of those seasons where where he just blows up because he's so big and strong and fast and has you know well over a thousand yards and you know double digit touchdowns and things like that. So uh, he's one I'm looking out for. Real good one. Uh, and and the receiver class is great, like yeah, you said. It's a really good receiver class, and I think the pass rush class, defensive line, is a big one there, too. Uh, the two I point to is Brian Burns in yep. Carolina and Josh Allen. Good one. Yeah, yeah, both. Those two I, pass I could rushers, definitely see that. They could blow up because they were both around 50% of the snaps or so last year. And so when, when they're at full go and pass rushers tend to take a little time, it's rare to see the Boses of the world just jump in and be so ready and so impactful and elite from day one. Those guys were already really good on a per snap basis. Once they're playing a full complement of snaps and continuing to get stronger and develop their technique, Brian Burns and Josh Allen look out. Great ones. And I was just going to buzz through the first round of a couple guys that I could see taking the leap that he's describing, you know, that could be pro bowlers, top 10 at their position type guys this year. Bosa's already there. I don't think it would shock anyone if it's Quinn and Williams just because of how good he was, yeah. what we thought of him a year ago. Uh, Devin White, Devin Bush, I think, are absolutely on that list. You mentioned Allen. I mentioned Hawkinson. Oliver was mentioned. Um, and then I'm scanning here. Burns would have been my next one to bring up that way. I'm very confident that Jeffrey Simmons will be one of the best defensive tackles in the league. I think Josh Jacobs, we talked about him a lot, could certainly be considered a top 10 running back, if not better. Marquise Brown. And that's pretty much the end of my first rounders that I think, you know, that I'd put a chip down of Pro Bowl this year. Debo Samuel's injured. So of that wide receiver class, he he might just, you know, it might take a little bit longer, maybe year three for him. If he misses some time, he might not be ready to go until October. Potentially Terry McLaurin is another one oh, uh, looking stuck. down in the later rounds who could absolutely blow up. He already blew up last year. AJ Brown, of course, is another one who might be the best wide receiver in that entire class. So yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah, and I want to mention Irv Smith and Jay Sternberger, too. Back to my young tight end love, and it seems like an NFC North thing this year, but I like a lot of those guys. By the way, while you were on vacation, I don't know if you listened to the Monday show where there was a lot of praise for Jace Sternberger as the mm-hmm. guy to look out for on that Packers offense when I talked with uh, Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers. Yeah, I have high hopes for him as well. I think he's going to be a really good one. Here's another one, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Already did break out, oh, but I was just yes. kind of scrolling through there. 
He's a really good player. Oh, awesome. And again, we're talking about modern day players, man. He can line up at corner outside. He can line up in the slot, free safety, strong safety, an awesome weapon to have for a defensive coordinator. And um, I don't know exactly the role he's going to play, probably all of the above, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of talent already in that Saints secondary. Uh, he'll be a starting player, but he might be the fifth DB. But man, he can do all of those things. He's a fun player. And uh, yeah, ascending talent for sure. I, I love that selection. I mean, they stole him. He A lot of people had him as a first round type of talent last year. I don't know what, I, there must have been something off the field or something we don't know about that made him last to, uh, what was it? I think there was. Early round yeah. four? Or late round three, was it? He was 105th pick overall, the third pick of the fourth round. Yeah. And wow. I think there were, a, I think there was a flag or two with him coming out. Staying with second year I mean, guys, I'm surprised. This actually, could be a long conversation. <laughs> I'm sitting here looking. I can name 20 other names oh, here. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's fun. Like, yeah. The so second year breakout and then, me. you know, sometimes the third year breakout, but the second year breakout is the most fun. And that's when I play fantasy football, I'm drafting second year wide receivers like that's the most fun position to me yeah. to try to nail that guy that blows up uh, speaking of second year players here two we did not name this from rj hollywood which second year running back has more has the more disappointing season after all this off-season hype miles sanders or josh jacobs mm. it's kind of know. a negative way yeah, of looking rj at it. why'd you have to go <laughs> negative with this <laughs> Who's going to be worse? Who's, so who's getting drafted? More? Yeah, who's getting drafted too high? And at this point, Josh Jacobs is going late round one, early round two, and Miles Sanders just right behind him, early round two for uh, ADPs that I'm seeing in fantasy leagues. Yeah, I mean, I think the Raiders probably are higher on Jacobs than the Eagles are Sanders, although offseason moves kind of tell us otherwise. So, I mean, that's a, a small fraction that I would say that by, but Sanders has done more in the receiving game on a per snap basis than Jacobs. And we talk about that a lot. I mean, Jacobs could be the 60 catch guy that we thought he was coming out of Bama and be a stud and a top five fantasy pick a year from now without question. But for some reason they haven't used him that way. And that I think they're telling us that they just don't want to overuse him. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I kind of hope I am. Um, Miles Sanders, I like a lot, though. Uh, And I think that situation he's in is really, really good. Frankly, I have no problem drafting either one of them at the end of the first round, early second, or both of them at the 12-13 turn, really. I I don't expect to be disappointed by either. I agree completely with you about Josh Jacobs. I and here's here's what I don't get. Why would you draft a first round running back who has three down ability and not use him as a three down running back? That's that's what I don't understand. And it's not like there's a bunch of guys behind him that are better that are screaming for touches, but there are some guys that are good in the passing game that that could take some of that load off him. And if he's not being utilized fully in the passing game, then that drops for me. And he's not a first round player in fantasy leagues, right? Where so essentially, and I'm I'm using the fantasy thing as sort of a, a stock a barometer. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Devontae Booker, they drafted Lynn Bowden, which tells me they want to throw the ball to their running backs and have some, you know, Jalen Richard's another guy that can uh, be a change of pace guy. So I, I would still Richard lean. was the receiving back last year. Right. So I think Josh Jacobs, if you're drafting him in round one in your fantasy leagues, uh, I think he's the one that has a chance to disappoint. Right now, currently, I'm with you. Miles Sanders is the one that would be less disappointing because he's not the first round draft pick last year. Um, not a first rounder in your fantasy leagues either. And right now he's got nobody competing with him. I mean, Boston Scott, Corey Clement, Elijah Holyfield, you know, 
But here's the thing is the Eagles are going to screw this up for you. And they're looking for somebody to sign. And eventually, if they bring somebody in and they do keep Miles Sanders off the field more often, then, you know, he has a chance to disappoint as well. But uh, I agree. My vote for the most disappointing would probably be Josh Jacobs because I just don't get the feeling. And he's never really been utilized just going back to college as being the bell cow guy all season long. Right, right. And I will say to defend him, late in the year, he was fighting a lot of injuries. But the the usage when he was healthy doesn't imply that they trust him and that might change this offseason in the passing game. And you're right. I mean, there's a lot of smoke that Philly wanted to sign Carlos Hyde. Devontae Freeman still looming out there. You can always pick up a back. And I'm not sure that Sanders is an Ezekiel Elliott Barkley workhorse either. He may be closer to the Kamara variety. That was a fun second year player segment. Let's get yeah. to some other things that you folks want to talk about on Twitter Thursday coming up. Hard Knocks. This one from Zachary. Matt, are you looking forward to Hard Knocks? I don't even know who's on it. And <laughs> so I guess not. But I always watch them every year. And I, and it's not like, oh, I got to go to work and watch Hard Knocks. I like watching them. My son likes watching them for entertainment value as much as anything. But I guess my short answer is no. I had completely forgot about Hard Knocks. And I didn't even think that it was going to happen yeah. because of this offseason. I was reminded of it because they released a trailer for it, I believe, yesterday. And it is Hard Knocks Los Angeles. It's a combo Chargers-Rams. Oh, yeah. uh, those are the teams involved with the Hard Knocks this year. I don't know what to expect. I don't know, I don't know how this is going to go. It's usually pretty fun, so uh, I'll probably be tuning in. But I'm less excited for it this year than I have been in years past. But uh, I do like the unfiltered yeah. look. I love that it's on HBO. So, uh, you know, you can get all of the, the colorful language and stuff like that as well. I know the 49ers put out a thing that, that, that I call lovingly soft knocks which is their own pre-produced thing in training camp i don't know if they're going to do that this year but it just doesn't hold up to hard knocks because hard knocks is produced by somebody else even though the league is involved and the team doesn't allow certain things i'm sure to go on there it could be even crazier but you know it's it's a little bit less filtered which i like and so that's that's the thing i like about hard knocks no i hear you um, I guess the thing that I would look forward to, and again, one minute ago, I didn't even know who was on it, <laughs> uh, with both LA teams, I would like to see more of Justin Herbert's personality. I mean, if, if it looks like he's really fitting in, and again, they don't show you the bad clips, and, and has a lot of outgoingness to him, and people are gravitating to him, and a lot of smiles and that kind of stuff, I'd like to see that in, in this, this hard docs. Yeah, that's a good one. I didn't really think about Justin Herbert. That's a great angle. I'm sure that, I mean, that that will have to be an angle there. Of course, Sean McVay will be a huge part of it because he's got, sure. uh, he's a fast talker and he, he's good on camera. Jared Goff is interesting. I, I'm interested to see what he's like around the guys because he seems like such a a laid back, like I, I almost want to see more fire out of Jared Goff, right? Does it seem like he lacks a little something in, in that regard? Yeah, probably. Like and a rally of the troops type of guy. He doesn't seem like that. He's just kind of like, oh, whatever, we lost. That's uh, whatever. You has know? a little surfer to him. I yeah, guess Herbert California too, kid, know? yeah. I mean, I also think Goff gets a little bit more heat than he probably deserves at this stage of his career. Not that I love him. Not that he'd be one of my top five quarterbacks if I picked to build a team around. But I think he's just the easy thing to Goff stop in this team. You know, like I think sometimes he gets a little bit of a raw deal. Yep, quarterback gets too much credit yeah. when you're winning and not enough credit, or too much credit when you're losing, not enough credit when you're winning, something like that. I don't know. I can't remember how that Yeah, goes. you know the saying. Goff was super young coming out, too. True junior. So I mean, he's still only 25 years old. 
Yeah, so, I mean, he's got a lot of ability too. Yeah, I think he'll a, have a pretty good year. He's, he's a good thrower, man. And he's, I think his arm talent is underrated. So I think there's still a lot more there. And with Sean McVay, this could definitely be a bounce back team. Uh, I don't know what to expect about the Rams. What do you think about the Rams? I, I, I picked them to finish last. They were a nine and seven team. They would have been in the playoffs last year, right? If with the new playoff format, when we were doing our NFC West crossovers on the network, I picked the Rams to come in last. But I don't feel good about that prediction. The NFC West is tough. It is, and I wouldn't feel good about that prediction either, but that division's really difficult, and I think a lot of people feel like the Rams' window is closed, slam shut. I'm not in that corner, but instead of judging them against their division, if you judge them against the NFC, I don't think I'd put any... If they were in the North, I'd pick them to win the division. If they were in the East, I'd have them behind Dallas and Philly. I'd probably have them behind the Saints for sure and probably Tampa, you know, in the other three divisions. So I think they're a quality team, and I do think there's a bounce-back possibility there for sure. Speaking of Chargers, bolt gang or don't bang is what he goes nice. by here. I like it. Uh, he says, I've heard a lot of bad things about PFF, but I've been thinking about getting a PFF Edge subscription and was wondering if it was worth it. Just want to get it because I've been getting more into statistics Thanks, dudes. Hashtag Twitter Thursday. Oh, no, I love like educate yourself, like read yeah. everything you can get that subscription. There's a lot of awesome information at Pro Football Focus. I know a lot of people don't like Pro Football Focus because they get mad about what they see with player grades and stuff. But that's all the more reason to find out what they're looking at. Look at things from another angle. Oh, yeah, I'm all about it. I, I mean, and I was uh, an analyst at PFF for a short time. I didn't do any of the grading. Oh, yeah, I didn't do any grading or anything like that. My, mo- my Mostly what I did was some online, you know, infographic sort of short articles, um, more like bullet point articles and stuff like that. And I did routes. In 2016, I charted routes for the whole season. Did a lot of 49ers, mm-hmm. Chip Kelly 49ers, which was not a, a fun process, to be honest with you. <laughs> Because they were really bad, and it was just all mesh concept crossers all day long. But um, you know, so I might be a little bit biased. I mean, I just I just love that stuff. Whether it's Football Outsiders, you know, DVOA, look, read stuff that smart people are doing. And just because you know a fan gets mad about how a player's graded doesn't mean that the people doing the grading or the process is wrong either. Yeah, I mostly agree with what you said there too. I mean, I just mentioned Warren Sharp's book, Football Outsiders Almanac. I would recommend those two products. They're both very cheap. For all of our listeners, there's so much in there. Every page you'll learn something. or And it's, and they are very analytical. They're very dorky. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's all numbers and math or anything like that. And that's true for Pro Football Focus, too. Uh, I am a subscriber. Um, I Frankly, I go to their page every day. I, I read something that they put out probably every day, probably 10 articles a week. There's a lot of reference material that is very, very useful there. Um, Snap counts, you know, percentage. uh, I mean, all the different things that they chart is very, very useful. I don't know that our listeners would use those things. They're not writing articles about these things or whatnot. Um, But I do have some reservations about Pro Football Focus in that I think the general football community leans on those grades too much and says, like, I don't want to hear a Hall of Fame case 10 years from now from a guard that, but he was top five in pro football focuses rankings for eight years in a row. Like, <laughs> eh, yeah, I mean, I'm not bashing the service. I just said a lot of good things about them. If they offer me a job, I'd be all ears. 
I just don't know that their O-line and coverage grades are, I don't want to say not accurate. I just don't know. I'd like to learn more about them before I put my stamp of approval on them. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard if you don't know the entire process, what they're looking at, how they're grading. Uh, They've had a lot of people challenge them on it. They've had NFL position coaches that were mad at them come into the office and they would go through the film and they would watch it and they would explain their system and the coach would look at it and be like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I see exactly what's going on here. If that's your system, you're more right. right. Yeah, you're more right than I thought because I see how this is working for you. And they, they've tweaked it over the years, but um, it's it, I like it for, like you mentioned, offensive linemen, just because it's a quick reference because it's, mm-hmm. statistically it's harder to grade the trenches. So you can, you can ask people to watch a ton of film, and this is just a number put to that. And we'll talk a lot with Brandon Thorne tomorrow about what that looks like and who's good on film because sometimes you see the sack numbers. That doesn't tell the whole, whole story. And offensive no. linemen, there's even fewer stats to go by. So... Uh, I like that there's somebody grading every single play for those types of positions that gives you a more accurate look, I think, of of how good a player is. Yeah, and last little note is I host that Steelers show every day with my co-host Dale Lawley, and we often bring it up. I mean, here's just one example. Every year, Marquise Pouncey is like the worst-ranked center in the league, yet no one in the league looks at him that way. The Steelers keep giving him money. I watch every snap and think he's one of the best centers in the league. And, for example, he's one of the centers that's asked to block defensive tackles one-on-one, probably at the top of the league. You know, And most centers have a lot of help. They're combo blocks. So why does he get – You know, it's just one example of, like, that doesn't pass a sniff test for me, and every year he's at the bottom of their center ranks. It makes no sense to me at all. And, he might, and he's going to be on a Hall of Fame ballot someday. I want to finish this up really quick here with yeah. one more question. I'm going to squeeze one more in. This one from Dominic. He says, with every upcoming quarterback being the next highest paid, how long before someone eclipses Mahomes' uh, average value per year? Given how special a player he is, will NFL clubs use Mahomes' contract to put a ceiling on quarterback salaries using a you-think-you're-better-than-Mahomes type of argument? It's a good question. I haven't thought of it from that angle. I mean, obviously, his contract has a massive ripple effect through the league and not only just quarterbacks, you know I mean? that it, it, it really influences everything. It rocks the boat. But to your, to this point, I would think there's going to be a two year stretch. I mean, I, I'm pulling that out of my butt where a quarterback can't go to the owner and say, I deserve more than that guy in Kansas city. You know, like, eh, I don't, you're, you're, that's really <laughs> being a little aggressive, you know, like it was different when, for that month that Kirk Cousins was the highest paid quarterback in the league. Okay, we knew that was going to get surpassed the next big quarterback contract. This one, I think there's going to be a little while. There has to be. It's. I think there's two sides of it. One, that'll be an argument happening in negotiations for sure. But here's the problem is with what Mahomes' contract looks like and what it actually is per year in the first half of the deal, someone like Dak Prescott is going to make more money than Mahomes during... So Dak, the Dak contract, it's going to be a four or five year contract. When that Dak Prescott deal that he eventually signs is done, he will have taken home more cash than Patrick Mahomes during that time. So that's Right. Yeah. That's true. I mean, there's no way around that. Because Patrick Mahomes' number Dak- is now whatever, you know, $477 million over the course of 10 years. So they're going to say, okay, well fine. I'm not asking for $47 million per year. You're going to pay Dak $36 million per year. But guess what? Mahomes isn't even taking home $36 million per year until 
2027. And then at one point, what will that number even look like? So essentially, you should have signed your quarterback before Mahomes signed is, is, the, is the answer to that, I think. Yeah, I 100% agree with all the, everything you said there. But it's not like Dak or even Watson can go to their team, though, and say, eh, that Mahomes contract's a good jumping off point. I want yeah. 5% more. <laughs> yeah. like, ah, I don't know. Oh, well, he got, yeah, I want 10 years, 501 million. No, that's not right. Right, right, right. If he's worth that, then I'm <laughs> worth more. No, no, no. Right. That's not an argument that'll hold water for sure. No. All right. Good stuff, Matt. Thanks, everybody, for all of those questions. We'll be back with Brandon Thorne tomorrow talking more about uh, the defensive line, offensive lines around the NFL. Tune in Friday right here. We're locked on NFL.